The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics. I'm the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes one of our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. Normally, I would be introducing uh, Henry Hatter at this uh, juncture, but he called me yesterday, said he... Uh, was probably going to be um, heading over to the Woodrow Stanley funeral this morning. So, oh, yeah. So we have sitting in for him Wes Whitaker, who has been with us for a few weeks, but uh, good to have Wes along. Hi, Wes. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Good morning, Paul. Wes. And, good to hear from you guys. Uh, and in the third chair of our... Uh, weekly roundtable, the author of American Schism, who's been, uh, who's, who's becoming a frequent uh, participant in our political roundtable, Armchair Politics, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome. Thank you so much. Good morning, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you uh, with us, as, as always is the case. Um, and I'm going to try something uh, a little later. We'll see if it works. Um, when we when we cut to break, at least for the live stream, I'm going to see if we can join the uh, the mayor's funeral um, in progress during those breaks. But just yeah, I, I see it's being live streamed. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to see if I can drop in on the live stream when we cut to break. So, we'll, but that'll be during the eleven o'clock hour. That's not coming up for a little while yet. We always start our chair politics with some quotes, the first one being the one in which um, I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to what? 
uh, hold two opposing thoughts at the same time, or something close to that. Isn't that it? Well, you're awful close. It's. Uh, <laughs> I have heard the quote somewhere, and I, 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 that's the approximate idea, I think. You may you may have heard it here because it's possible. <laughs> I'm starting <laughs> yeah. to see some repeats pop up every once in a while. But this this uh, the original quote here was: "It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it." Mm. Ah, mm. very good. And, Love that. And who do you think uh, coined that? Ah, little that's a good gem? question. Hmm. I'll give you a hint. It goes back hmm. a ways. Ben Franklin. That's no, further than that. That was um, <laughs> Cicero. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Aristotle. Oh, Aristotle. Oh, I got. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it really does go back a ways. Um. Okay. Uh, one quote that uh, that of course got my attention this week, and it's at the center of what a lot of people have been paying attention to this last week. Uh, the quote goes like this, disturbing information recently obtained by the United States that indicates that human rights violations and abuses in the aftermath of a further invasion are being planned. Hmm. Wow. Secretary of State? Um, I... That's a pretty good guess. Uh, it's uh, Ambassador... Um, Bathsheba Nell Crocker, the U.S. representative to the Office of the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva, alleges in a letter to Michelle Bachelet, the uh, U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights. Mm. Um, and, and, of course, they're talking about uh, the Russian uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine. Um, can the U.S. rally enough international support to block or stop the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure about stopping it, but it, what, what strikes me is that one, one ironic spinoff from the Russians' point of view is that this all may strengthen NATO in a way that other events might not have. I mean, as I think we said last time, NATO was getting, you know, especially during the Trump years, getting a little worn around the edges, and all of a sudden this event may actually strengthen NATO in a way that... Uh, it otherwise it wouldn't have been. So it, it may be an ironic spinoff of the events. I don't know. One of, one of the questions that, that I, I've been thinking a lot about since the last, the last couple of weeks, in fact, is whether or not these sanctions, even if they are coordinated with our allies, whether they will make enough of a difference to raise the cost to Putin to change course. I'm not sure that they will. Yeah, if, what I've heard this morning is that the, the Russians have stocked up on a lot of a lot of uh, supplies and preparation for sanctions so that it may not have the immediate effect that uh, that we hoped to for or expected right I still have yet to hear an argument as to why it's in our best interest to be the forefront in stopping Russia from annexing Ukraine I just to me it's what what about the the principle the principle of of sovereign nations and international law? Are you saying you, yeah. why we it should fall to the Americans? I, I don't I don't understand your question. What was the question? 
what you, you're saying, you, you don't understand an argument. I think the argument is very straightforward. It's one of one in which we have an international community of nations that represents sovereignty of borders, and and invas- invading another country's sovereignty is is completely contradictory to the international order that we are a leading part of. Well, the, the key phrase there is invading another country's sovereignty. Uh, Why is that tricky? It's pretty Historically, Pretty Ukraine is not a sovereign nation. They were at one time part of the Russian Empire. So They were part of the Soviet Union, yes. No, even before that. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, yeah, historically, like I say, the Kiev was actually the beginning, if you go way back in Russian history, beginning of the Russian nation in some ways. Yeah. It has long history as a separate nation, that's true. Um, and it, it does, and... And why is it that America always has to be the, the lead cop on the on the beat? We we've got we can't even protect our own southern border, and we're going and trying to impose our will on. If this is important to Europe, then let Europe deal with it. And if they need our help later, then then fine. But I I think it's time for us to kind of stop telling everybody else what they shall and shall not do. I kind of see it as a way of, like I say, rallying NATO in a way that hadn't been rallied before. I think it's yeah. I mean, keeping NATO together may, heavy may be a critical a issue here. Yeah, let, let, let Europe do the heavy lifting for a change. We've got our own issues to deal with here. I think my sense is that's a, pr- a pretty dangerous precedent given the, the, the Article 5 of NATO. And uh, Ukraine has been a sovereign nation for at least the modern era, it, 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 you're right that historically there's been ties, but that's true of a lot of countries. Yeah, everybody was part of the Roman Empire at one time too. If you yeah, go back, exactly, exactly, yeah. and and the U, the UN has particular uh, a particular charter that that lays this out, as does international norms. So I mean, I, the the fact that the, the, I think there's two separate questions. One is whether America should take a leading role. I think that. Is a fair point of debate, but arguing that the world community should just let this happen, I think, is quite a dangerous precedent. Okay, I'll concede that the world community probably should not let it happen if this is, in fact, viewed as an invasion. But I, I think we've got we've got much larger problems in, in the United States to to take on the role of the world's cop again. I don't think that, we can, that, that, we can sustain that. And then we're not committing troops to, to, you know, to any kind of military action as such. So, I mean, yeah, but military... that's where they're headed. That is where they're headed. The military-industrial complex is demanding that that's what happens. That's the harsh reality. <coughs> well, I had an interesting uh, guest on the show yesterday who was recently in Ukraine, um, and he's the uh, editor in chief of a new. Uh, literary magazine called the continental um, but he's been a war correspondent throughout the middle east and in other parts of the world and written for the washington post new york times a number of european publications and he had the most interesting insight about what putin wants to get out of this deal and it essentially breaks down to water for crimea Hmm. Which, which I hadn't heard anyone talk about. 
Well, there, there, there is. I mean, the Crimean has got is the location of a major Russian sub base, isn't it? So as I recall from an earlier guest you had on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, so maybe that's an issue for the Crimea. That's interesting. But they're but they're getting their <clears throat> their water, um, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about like for um, drinking water and and uh-huh. so on from the from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And since the Russians um, started occupying Crimea, that water has been cut off. I see. And I, I haven't heard anyone talking about any of this. No, none of that. It seems, if that's the key issue, it's, it's much to do about a very small issue in some ways. Well, it, it, it seems like it. Sure. Yeah, if, if, that's, if that's the real issue. <clears throat> now, I, I did press him on some other geographic things, you know, um, waterways and seaports and, you know, other yeah. other coastal activity, different kinds of water issues. And, and he said those were certainly part of it. But, but it, you know, it, for the everyday person there, the thing they're they're concerned about, of course, as people in Flint can appreciate, water. <laughs> right. Right. In connection. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah, anyway. it's, it's curious the way it's blown up, and that's in that sense. If, if, that, if that's the key issue, and as I say, even from Putin's point of view, I mean, NATO is is really there on his border anyhow, whether it's uh, Ukraine or Poland or Romania or anything. Or, variety of other countries that have become part of, 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 of uh, NATO. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distinction, but you can see why, he, why, with the breakup of the Soviet Union, why Russia feels threatened. But frankly, the Ukraine is not going to change it a lot, one way or the other. Well, it's, um, it, as I've been watching some of this... Uh, playing out on on various cable news channels i keep i i don't know what it is if it's um some of the elements like this whole thing about sanctions being rolled out in small increments and and uh, putin moving into ukraine incrementally starting with uh, uh these these sort of disputed areas uh right regions within ukraine and there's there's something about it that feels scripted to me exactly i don't know how else to describe it but it feels exactly it feels and looks and sounds scripted and Hmm. it's it's and i'm not sure what that what that means or what the implications of that are but i just keep thinking about wag the dog when, when i'm yeah. watching this stuff unfold and unfortunately yeah. we're going to have to pause right here and take a short break but we will come back and continue on this before we go to the next uh quote and i want to thank uh um Everybody for tuning in, but also our participants, Seth Radwell, Wes Whitaker, and our regular Paul Rosicki. We'll be Everybody's right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regular Paul Rosicki, joined with uh, Wes Whitaker filling in for uh, Henry uh, Hatter today, and also uh, at the roundtable we have author of American Schism, Seth Radwell, joining us. Welcome back, everybody. And I promised when we went to break that we would come back and pick up where we left off, talking a little bit about... uh, uh, about Ukraine, and I had made the comment that I, I, I felt like what we're what we're seeing unfold seems sort of scripted, like it's uh, um, everybody knows what everybody wants, and they're going through the motions until they can uh, um, acquiesce without losing face. Well, one mm-hmm. thing that struck me as curious was the fact that uh, they waited until the Olympics were done before things began happening. Uh, the <laughs> and even talked about the fact that they were going to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was even pointed out, you know, it was, pundits were saying, geez, I wonder if they'll start before or after the Olympics are done. And yeah. <laughs> So they, they had the closing ceremony, and what, 12 hours later, we had the, uh, the invasion, I guess. <laughs> Very strange. This whole administration is like watching Fernwood tonight. I mean, it's just everything's. He's got a fake office that he gives speeches from. Uh, it's just the whole thing's crazy. Yeah, but the, but coming from the uh, from the other side, the uh, you know the surroundings for uh, <coughs> Vladimir Putin seem you know staged and set up and scripted, and you know the the whole yeah. thing just seems um, like people are are playing parts in this and we're watching like it's something that's that's unfolding in real time well what about the russian minister the other day that said you know what the west is saying is a bunch of of propaganda and not true and they're making all this up yeah, but then I, I wonder. But I wonder some of the things that are being said by the East. There's a piece in the New York Times that's uh, a critical review of uh, Ukrainian President. Uh, is it Vizensky? Vizensky? Hmm. Um, anyway, I, I don't know if you remember, but he was a stand-up comedian before he got elected yeah. president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <that's> <laughs> He's, he's clearly maybe out of out of his league the way things are developing there. Well, and they talked about how he had this, you know, a, a, a pretty great agenda and a pretty good first hundred days, and then, uh, you know, as if everything just kind of raced beyond him, and and he um, has surrounded himself with some people that aren't necessarily the best people for the jobs. At least that's what this piece in the New York Times is saying. But nobody has been complaining about this guy until now. Zelensky? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he, he, he does have a very interesting background. But I, I had heard that he was, he was uh, quite able to, to attract uh, support from different parts of the base in Ukraine. So I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's true or not, but I had read a few things about him as well. 
by the way, I, I came across, as during the break, I was looking at Facebook here, I came across an interesting quote. Uh, Linda Pilipu, who's a well-known local attorney around here, yeah. posted a thing about the Ukraine that uh, might be worth uh, inserting here, because it's, it's sort of interesting. Uh, if, if, if we got the time, I'll, let, me, let me read some of yeah, this. Yeah, I just came ahead, Paul. Yeah, I just, just came across it within, during the break. And, and this again, this is Linda Pilipu, local attorney, and active in a lot of social things around, around town here. She says, as many of you know, I'm a first-generation American. My father was born in Ukraine. My mother was born in Latvia. They immigrated here in the early 50s, having met and married in a displaced persons camp after World War II. I still have family in Ukraine, two first cousins and their children. I heard from one of my cousins yesterday about what's happening in Ukraine. My first cousin lives in western Ukraine, where it's viewed as relatively safe. His two daughters and their families live in the capital city of Kiev and are on high alert. Uh, Nadia told me that she has a bag packed and her important items are ready to flee uh, and is ready to flee her parents' home, but otherwise life is going on as normal. The children are being put through bombing drills at school. Everyone is on high alert, but she has faith in the Ukrainian government and the army and the support of the American government. Uh, she, she views Putin as a madman capable of anything. Uh, so that's, that's it, just an interesting comment that she posted within the last, uh, within the last hour. Well, that's because it refers to why uh, I was arguing the point before. If you if you listen to what's happening uh, in Lith Latvia, Lithuania, all all the states that are bordering uh, Russia and and the former Soviet Union, broadly speaking, there's a lot of nervousness. I mean, this is this is re this is really the que the question is because he's not uh, in some in some points of view he's not sane. Where will this lead to? I think that's the, that's one of the big questions. Especially like if you live in Estonia, I mean, they've got yeah. one cool, oh, cool yeah. capitalism and right on the doorstep of, of Moscow. And you know, if he gets away with this, what's what's going to happen to them? Right, exactly. But I, I, I think there's a lot to be said about about the whole thing is being ginned up for for some reason. You know, and a lot of it I think has. I just feel like there's a it was ginned up to cover up some of the serious problems that we're facing here in this country. And it's not that I'm trying to be an isolationist, but the wag the dog analogy, I think, is a very inappropriate analogy when you start backing up and taking a wide view of what's going on in this country. Who's asking us to go to war, and why, why are we being asked at this time to go to war? And... It just doesn't ring true. It doesn't. doesn't well, and the, the timing is is really interesting. We talked about how clumsy the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan was. It was atrocious. But mm -hmm. people, by and large, agreed that it was time to get out. Now, all of a sudden, does that mean we're a country without a war now? <laughs> in some odd way, it may. Yeah, that's what you're saying. And so, you and know, can, fortunately, can one came along. Without a war? It, one came along in in Ukraine. If if that's how this plays out, and that's that's bothering. Now, Wes, did you say you thought the uh, wag the dog analogy was inappropriate? No, I thought it's very appropriate. Oh, okay. 
I, I, I agree with you 100%. The whole thing just has an air of fixes in or you know, somebody's behind the scenes pulling the strings. A scripted is and the only thing. That's the only thing I can really think of that describes how it looks to me. Like, like people are just are playing out parts in a scripted event. I, I and I, I think. I, I, go ahead. Yeah, I think that there's a um, sorry. I think there's a much bigger story here, which is you know I I, I tend to um, I, I don't think this I don't put much faith in conspiracy theories regarding this. I think that what's going on is a much larger battle between a free, open society, what we used to call a democratic republic, and the model that the world is moving much more closely towards, which is autocracy, which is, is an illiberal society that is characteristic of Putin and Xi and many other places, and that's really what's at stake here. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, it doesn't feel scripted to me. It feels closer to a little bit to you know what what happened when when at the music accords when the question was you know what do we let this person get away with and where do we have to rally uh to stop uh, a leader that's infringing on on the sovereignty of other nations i mean i think that's a much more appropriate analogy in my view here's that's another thought too is it is it possible putin is doing this for some internal things within russia itself I mean, he he certainly is is situated well in power, but he's certainly faced some dissent in in recent years. And is this a way of shoring up his support within Russia? I, I think he, he's he. Go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. I I mean, I I think that he it has a real goal now that he's in power power for over 20 years and for another 15 assured right. of reestablishing the reestablishing the Soviet empire. I think that I think his goal is, is as crazy and as unpredictable as his actions are. I think his vision is clear. Yeah, he's a very calculating individual. He always I mean <laughs> coming out of the KGB as he had, he's got that that long-term view that he can take uh uh, unlike a lot of other politicians. So, yeah, I, I suspect that may be the long-term view. If he had his choice, now, it may never happen, I suspect, for all kind of other reasons. But this may be at least one small step in that direction. Right. Well, let me move on to another quote that got my <coughs> attention this week and maybe a little bit something uh, um, maybe better for <laughs> the Ukrainian president to work on. Um, but it's closer to home here. Mrs. Um, the quote is, Mrs. Chatfield understands why there is so much attention surrounding this story, but Rebecca's story of being assaulted is fiction, and she should seek counseling. Being a victim of sexual assault herself, Mrs. Chatfield is sensitive to all those who are true victims of sexual assault. Michigan's uh, Attorney General... No, no, um, but you're, you're on the right track. There's a portion of a statement issued on Stephanie Chatfield's behalf by Grand Ledge lawyer Matthew Newberg. Mm. Um, as Michigan law enforcement appears to be ramping up the investigation into possible sexual assault and financial impropriety by ex-House Speaker Lee Chatfield, the levering Republican's wife, is defending her husband in her first public comments since news broke about her sister-in-law's allegations. <coughs> 
Stephanie Chatfield says she believes her husband had an affair but never sexually assaulted their sister-in-law, Rebecca Chatfield. Instead, she suggests the woman accusing Lee is uh, seeing spirits and hearing voices, acting Mm -hmm. out in a desperate attempt to seek fame and fortune through her allegations. The the big question in this story is, and, and the story keeps building up, and, and again, this is one of those things, when I first heard about the, the sexual assault allegations against Lee Chatwil, Chatfield, it, 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 it just felt to me like somebody was making a big story out of this because he had plans to run for something and they were trying to steer him away from it. And then when they added to it finance impropriety, it seemed even more like that. But in this particular situation, and and others that have come up over the years, um, locally and nationally, how important is what former Speaker Chatfield's wife has to say in (coughs) regard to this, uh, Hmm. this scandal? Well, I'm saying legally it's not going to be all that important, but in terms of the public relations, that's something else, I think. <clears throat> I don't know. But, is, and, and, but and isn't she, she best basically commenting as expected? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> so I, I don't give it, you know, too much weight one way or the other, I guess, in, in this context. What I wondered was, what, what does anybody has anybody heard what he was thinking about running for? I had not heard any rumors. No, that was pure speculation on my part. Yeah, I, I had aside the same thought, but again, I had not heard any mention of what he might no, be thinking the, of. No, the only the the only mention of that is uh, has, has been on this show, I think. <laughs> um, but, I see. <laughs> but it, it, it and and I'm. You know, and I'm happy to start that as a rumor. It just had that feel about it, like <laughs> yeah, like maybe he'd been exploring a run at something, and and some of the people, you know, my some of my favorite people, the the cigar smoking back, you know, smoke filled room back room guys, um, got wind of it and and decided to go after him on anything they could drum up you know to to try and uh i was i was thinking there's so many so many folks running for the republican nomination for governor it wouldn't be a surprise that he'd throw his hat in the ring there as was well about 13 of them already i believe <clears throat> but i have not heard that that he was thinking about that well there there are some state senate seats that are that's open. true um, yeah redistricting is kind of blown the whole thing over. Yeah, I, I'm sure he could find uh, something to run for. Um, heck, he could probably move to Flint and run for mayor here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I haven't heard, I haven't heard a lot of names. For you that know, that was that surprising considering the uh, it's just about a month and a half away for the filing deadline. I've had heard all. I mean. Except for a few people who, who a year ago sort of vaguely mentioned they might think about running, I've heard no serious other uh, names being popped up currently. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know how, what kind of opposition Neely's going to have. Um, 
Maurice Davis had mentioned it when when he lost the election, uh, you know, last summer as a possibility. But I've I've heard no no activity from him that I'm aware of. And Eric Mays mentions it occasionally. I don't know if he's going to do anything about that. And uh, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I've heard is is you know who who wants it. <laughs> that may be the other issue. That's, yeah, that's true. A, that's you, I mean, you've got to have some kind of plan to to try and and improve the quality of life in the city of Flint and and pull Flint out of the malaise that it's in. And and I haven't heard anybody put forth a. Yeah, and it, it um, may be a very thankless job. That much is true. It's going to t- it's going to take years to fix what's what's happened. Exactly, it years to yeah. get to this point. And we don't have a lot of politicians that have that type of vision beyond the next term anymore. It's, you know, I'm going to take the job and take the paycheck, but I'll just hold the status quo. Well, here's something uh, (laughs) um, set up might take a minute or two, but a federal judge has agreed to exclude from evidence two emails from a water consultant employee who referred to Flint as Clown Town <laughs> while, oh while, while the company advised the city on its water system before the start of the water crisis. U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy, who is presiding over a bellwether case brought by four Flint children against Veolia North America and Lockwood Andrews and Noonan, uh, made the uh, ruling in an opinion filed Thursday, February 17th. Land had asked Levy to exclude four emails from Jeffrey Henson, or Hansen, rather, a project manager in its Flint office, at trial, saying they were not relevant to claims the company was negligent in its work here, and because the probative value of the emails is substantially outweighed by a danger of one or more of the following. Unfair prejudice, confusing the issues, misleading the jury, undue delay, or wasting time. Levy agreed to exclude one 2012 email in which Hansen forwarded a news story concerning Flint's seizure of dogs and wrote that Flint stinks, and another (laughs) in 2011 in which Hansen asked his girlfriend to feed his dog while he was working in Clown Town. Attorneys for Flint residents argued in a court filing that the email should be allowed during the current trial, saying the insulting descriptions are evidence of Land's attitude toward Flint. But Levy uh, called the argument unpersuasive as to these purely uh, personal messages, which she said were not even tangentially related to Mr. Hansen's work for Land or to Land's duties as a water engineer. Levy's opinion says a third email from 2015 in which Hansen characterizes Virginia Tech professor Mark Edwards as a clown is relevant and can be considered by the jury. Are references like calling Flint Clown Town a distraction from the real legal issues of the suit, or are they relevant? <clears throat> I think it's I think it's very relevant because it goes to the perception of Flint. I I have this argument often. I'm down here in St. Petersburg for the winter, and these people 
I get into discussions with people and say, well, how can you, how can you live in an area like Flint? I said, do you have any idea what Flint is or where Flint has come from? I mean, there was a time when this city was the nexus of entrepreneurship and innovation globally. Right. Wow. I mean, you study you study the people that came out of St. John Street neighborhood by itself. Mm -hmm. It's something like thirty-eight or forty different nationalities all living next door to each other. There was no crime. There was no uh, riots or anything, and they came from all different parts of the world to work at Buick. Highest paid three, factory workers in the world in the mid. Yeah, high, highest wages at one time. And, and at one time, a school system that was the model of the nation. Exactly. The, the community college. Paul, you you know that very well. Yeah. And that was the first one. Yeah. And these people oh. would just sit there and take shots at <clears throat> You know, I, I tell them, you, you know, you're talking out of, out of your other orifice. You have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. It just, I it's think it's really indicative of, of, of the world today where pe people comment on, on situations they know nothing about. <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think that, that, that really, that's really what your, your story, which is so interesting, tells us. Yeah. And again, I mean, having said all that, it's also, if you take a look at the current city council and some of their marathon meetings, then you can see where that kind of comment comes from. Yeah. Well, there's one, there's one in particular that definitely fits the definition. <laughs> it's <of time>. true. <laughs> That's what do you think? People keep reelecting. Oh yeah, he gets the largest vote margin of any of any of them generally. Uh, Seth, I'm in, I'm kind of interested. Seth, now, is this your first book, or have you written other books? <clears throat> this is my first book of this kind. I've written a lot about marketing, and and uh, I was a business person for most of my career. I I spent uh, many years building consumer brands, and I took a three year hiatus from my business career. Because I was concerned about the direction that uh, that we were headed in, and that's what American Schism turns out to be—a investigative tracing, if you will, of our of the roots of our divisions going back to our founding. Well, I'm hmm. curious if you've run into this phenomenon yet, because you, if you haven't, you're going to. You're going to get in discussions with people who are arguing vociferously their point, and you realize that they don't have a clue about what they're talking about. They're getting their talking points off the news or off of some blog they read or some discussion that their Twitter feed had, and you've spent all this time researching this book, and you know your topic. Um, right. It, it just it just becomes it's it's like an occupational hazard, I guess, dealing with dumb Absolutely. Things. I mean, it's, it's, it's very true. I mean, I, I'm, one of the premises that uh, I focus on is, is it's how important it is to talk to a broad range of, of, of people with different viewpoints, but you certainly come, come up to the issue that you're talking about, for sure. Yeah. I just did a, uh, I, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and, and radio shows, and I just did one in New York with a relatively informed group of people, but I've done some, especially some of the virtual ones, where uh, I get a lot of uh, questions that come from from a clearly uh, a perspective that's not that's that's taking some story off of news, off of cable news. We have to uh, we have to take a break here, but I, I'm going to just stick this in real quickly. I had a guy on the show recently, and before he was a guest, he had gone to the website and pulled up an old episode of Armchair Politics, and he said he laughed right out loud when I made a joke about getting my news from Facebook. 
Anyway, <laughs> we're going to take <laughs> a short <laughs> break. We'll be right duck back. Duck here. Yeah. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacle that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila!
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with our uh, political roundtable armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our our uh, panel of political pundits today, uh, roundtable regular Paul Rosicki. We've got Wes Whitaker sitting in for uh, Henry Hatter. And uh, joining us, uh, Seth Radwell, author of American Schism. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, Let's move on to, uh, let's see, another story, another another fun local uh, story. The group attempting to recall Genesee County GOP chair and Davison Board of Education member Matthew Smith has now identified 221 signatures that were improperly rejected, the recall petitioners said. In a second letter identifying another 104 signatures on February 17th, recall sponsor and chair of the Committee for School Board Integrity, Janessa Phillips, is demanding that Genesee County Clerk John Gleason again reopens the vote count and validates the signatures of hundreds of disenfranchised voters. Gleason who has now sent letters to both Smith and Phillips saying that the recall missed its signature count still has until February 22nd to determine the sufficiency or insufficiency of the signatures that were submitted, Phillips said. However, since votes are being challenged, Phillips believes there is still an opportunity to get the recall passed uh, passed through despite two successful or unsuccessful attempts. There is no guidance in Michigan law about whether the petitioners can challenge signatures that were crossed out by local clerks in the validation process, so Phillips and her team are doing so. Can new life be breathed into this uh, petition effort? You know, like I said, this is the first time I can recall a... a, uh kind of a second effort to, to, to resuscitate a petition after it's been turned down. I, I cannot recall this ever happening. And Apparently they're finding some signatures, whether it'll be enough, I don't know. But I, it seems to me, from my recollection, as a unique kind of an event, I, I don't recall any other recall that's going through a similar kind of process. Oh, I don't think it's a unique event. It's happened before in 1600s in Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> Yeah. I think a good adage for this is that people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. There's some things that this group is they don't want they don't want anybody looking into. And uh You're talking about I, the I group that get, uh that was uh pushing the petitions and, and collecting signatures. Yeah, yeah. They, they this is a this is a uh a group that's trying personal destruction on a whole new scale. And, uh, I think I think somebody should look into their background as well. You know, if you're going to go and make all these accusations about somebody, and then your house needs to be clean too. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, okay, let's move sure. on. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
A tax uh, tax cut plan approved Tuesday by the Michigan Senate is not sustainable, Governor Gretchen Whitmer said Wednesday, signaling a likely veto if it is approved by the House in similar form. The state is sitting on a surplus of about $7 billion as the legislature works on Whitmer's recent budget proposal for 2023. But Whitmer and state budget officials have cautioned that much of the surplus is one-time money and therefore can't be used to sustain an ongoing tax cut that would cost more than about $700 million annually. Is it responsible to approve a permanent tax cut during a temporary surplus? Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure, and I'm struck that really both parties are kind of having trying to see who can outbid the other on tax cuts during the election year, which is you know it's a nice campaign slogan, but as I say it could have some really tough financial issues uh, a couple of years down the road when all this temporary money is gone. Right. Is that something that that, ha- that that you guys have done before locally? Have there been, when, when there has been surpluses, have there been tax cuts inst- uh, instituted? Um, well, no, I don't, I don't think um, very often the people that are looking to cut taxes are hoping that cutting the taxes will force, uh, and, and, and let's call it what it is. Typically, it's Republicans trying to cut taxes. And they're hoping that will force Democrats into cutting programs. The programs don't get cut, but the taxes do. And it starts chipping away at revenue, and the books don't balance. And 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 then you get a financial crisis. Yeah. Right. That's more typical. Mm -hmm. And and what's happening here is um, they're not usually dealing with big surpluses so it's pretty easy to shut down requests for funding for certain mm-hmm. programs why do you why do you suppose that programs are not cut i mean there's so much i i don't know wes and i've asked republicans the same thing that we're in a position to cut taxes and to cut programs and they cut the taxes but they don't cut the programs and yeah, just politically, it's unpopular. You know, there's always some beneficiary to every program, and uh, when you cut it, somebody's going to yell. But, but like, for instance, there's a, with FHA mortgages, there's like five or six different programs for an FHA mortgage, and they're almost identical, except for some small, minute difference in them. And it's just like, you know, why don't you just compile this all into one and save the save the overhead? We've we've got so many people employed in government now that uh, are just there because there's so many people get programs and similar programs that somebody has to administer this stuff. And it's it's in, it's gotten to the point of insanity. Well, a good example of that was the 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 current uh, Flint has just was was receiving I think ninety four million dollars of COVID relief money, and we we are now spending about correct me time if my numbers are off here about a million and a half dollars to have somebody administer and make sure we follow the federal rules on that. Uh, and we we talked before about whether or not it wouldn't be higher, simply wiser to hire a. A well-talented accountants for a lot less money to, to oh, supervise yeah. our our operation there. 
Um, well, wasn't there a, a, a hearing just a, about a month ago in Lansing where they were trying to figure out this enormous amount of money that just kind of vanished in the system and nobody could account for it? And the bureaucrats were saying, well, you know, we're going to have to investigate internally before we give you your answers. And I, I, I watched this one uh, legislator's head almost explode. <laughs> like, who's working for who here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the bureaucratic state is, is just taking on this attitude of, you know, well, we're going to do what we want to because this is what we have to do. Mm. I think there needs to be a popular uprising and say enough's enough across political party lines. It's it's gotten to the point now where it's out of control. It goes back to what Seth said about, you know, the, the whole world in general seems to be going towards this command and control form of government, and that's never worked any time it's been tried, so it, it seems to be where we're headed at every level. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, Michigan Health Department leaders are no longer urging local school leaders and others to require masks in many indoor settings. The new guidance takes effect immediately, reflecting improving COVID-19 trends and similar moves from other administrations across the country amid fierce pressure from critics who argue that mask recommendations at schools are unnecessary. The guidance does not immediately nullify any local orders. Detroit schools still have a mask requirement, although most local districts have announced plans to roll back their remaining regulations by the end of the month. The state still recommends everyone wear masks in long-term care facilities, prisons, hospitals, and similar sites. Do you think recent protests at Canadian and Michigan border crossings has influenced this announcement? Hey there. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Somebody clicked off. I don't know. I'm still here. I think I think there's certainly probably probably an impact of that anyway Tom I think I think that's there's validity to that hypothesis I think that you know the 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 overall uh uh movement of whether there's generally a malaise and a a tiredness with having dealt with this pandemic for so long oh yeah which is totally uh, totally understandable I mean it's it's you know it's it's quite quite human It's, it's exhausting all of our lives and as a consequence uh, it does make uh, it, it does raise the ire of any regulations or rules that seem to be imposed when it, it appears that that we don't really there's so much we don't know about the science. So I'm not again I'm not I, I'm not arguing against vaccines. I think they're important, but I am saying that I think in general people are uh, consumers citizens are tired of of regulations or rules around COVID. Yeah, yeah. My, I mean, as we as we kind of relax all these rules, I just hope in in a couple of months or six months down the road we don't see another spike. But that's about it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're all exhausted by that kind of stuff. That's true. Well, on that note, uh, need take a short break here for the uh, top of the hour ID, and um, we will uh, be back with the second half of armchair politics uh, when when we continue after this uh, after this short break and uh, coming up 
during the breaks this next hour I'm going to try and cut away and see if I can join the uh, Woodrow Stanley funeral in process um, for people who don't know he was a former mayor of Flint served in the state house as well as Flint City Council and the county board of commissioners and was a, a frequent contributor to this show We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 